All right, what is up, team? Welcome back to the show. It is Q&A time. I feel like it's been a long time since I've done a Q&A by myself, um, but I am stoked to get into this. We have some great questions, so let's go ahead and just hop right in. Actually, before that, do me a massive favor. If you've been enjoying the show, if you've taken value from this, and you haven't done so already, leave me a five-star rating and review in iTunes. You're really helping me out tremendously, helping me grow the reach of the show and help more people just like you. All right. So all that said, let's go ahead and get into the questions. First question we have is thoughts on calorie cycling. All right. So calorie cycling is a very interesting one because it's something that's been overplayed, but at the same time, it is very useful, but for a different reason than people think. So let me explain. So calorie cycling is basically just where we have higher days and lower days. We use it in a fat loss setting is really the only time that calorie cycling makes sense. Um, if you're in a building phase, we just want to consistently be in a slight surplus. If you're at maintenance and you're constantly dipping in and out of a deficit, um, again, we're probably not reaping all the benefits of maintenance. So in a fat loss setting is really the only time that calorie cycling makes sense. Now, people have kind of attributed these magical benefits to calorie cycling, like, hey, we think this ramps up your metabolism, for example. And while technically it is true that like on if we have higher calorie days and lower calorie days, it will ramp up your metabolism, that's simply because the thermic effect of food is greater. So basically, like all calories we take in are going to burn some energy, aka calories during digestion. Now, the greater the degree of calories we take in, um, the more calories we burn. So when we have these higher days, of course, we're burning more calories. When we have these lower days, we're burning fewer calories due to the thermic effect of food. But regardless, to like equal the same amount of weight loss, loss across the course of the week. So let's say that across the course of the week, like let's say your goal is to lose one pound per week. So we know, okay, we, we need you eating 3,500 calories below your maintenance intake across the course of the week. Okay, so then across the course of the week, we are still in a net deficit of 3,500 calories. So whether you are just, let's say, eating 2,000 calories every single day, or some days you're eating 1750 and some days you were eating two or 2250. Um, no, 2000. Damn, that's hard. Yes, 2250. Math is not my strong point. Um, either way, it comes out to, okay, the same amount of, at the end of the week, I still ate the same amount of calories and I was in the same deficit. So thus, across the course of the week, the thermic effect of food was the same. So there aren't going to be any metabolic benefits to this. So where that said, we do still use calorie cycling quite often with an on, within online coaching, and here's why. Really, it's a great adherence tool. So when we dig into why do so many people fall off of diets, it's not because we don't understand like the basic principles of dieting. Much more it is most people struggle to find a diet that they can actually stick to. So one of the most common ways, there's a couple common different ways that we calorie cycle with clients, and I'll dig into each. Basically, we have, I would say the most common approach we use is six lower calorie days where we're in a more aggressive deficit, of course, pushing along the client's fat loss, one day per week where we are right around maintenance, right? Now, basically what this does is just allows the client plenty of time to A, create fat loss across the course of the week. The problem with some calorie cycling methods is they just have people out of a deficit so often that either A, you have to be in a big ass deficit to actually lose weight across the course of the week, or 
you're just actually losing weight very, very, very slowly. Like a common example of this is on a similar approach, not quite the same as calorie cycling, but like the matador, the matador diet approach where it was like two weeks diet, two weeks diet break. Again, not quite the same thing, but a very similar concept. That's great until you realize that like the length of the study was literally the people that did the diet breaks took twice as long to get to the end result. And for many people, like time frame is, a, is an issue as well, right? Like if it's, okay, I have 32 weeks to diet. I don't know if I can realistically do that, but we need to, uh, typically we prefer to keep those time frames a bit shorter if possible. So anyways, bringing that back to calorie cycling and the six, one approach here, typically what we'll do is again, one day right around maintenance, six lower calorie days where we're pushing on with fat loss. So what this does is this just gives the client room for more dietary flexibility, right? So one day per week, you can go out, you can enjoy more drinks. You can work in a burger, um, whatever. So you can still feel like you have plenty of room for dietary flexibility in your diet. But the other six days, again, we are pushing along quick fat loss. For most people, that's like the trade-off. The thing to realize is, well, like a solid trade-off to where, okay, there's plenty of flexibility, but we can get this diet done with sooner rather than later. I think that one mistake many coaches make is getting a little bit too cute with calorie cycling. And, hey, okay, we're going to do like every other day is high, low, high, low, high, low. Um, but again, it's like, it just drags diet timeframes out so much for most people. The best thing you can do is get the deficit done with, and then get them back to the point where they can just be eating more every single day at maintenance or in a building phase or whatever the next phase is. Um, okay. So from there, then we have the five, two approach again, the six, one, I would say currently is the one we use most frequent, frequently with clients. And that side also a lot of times with clients, this is something that I'll introduce a couple weeks down the road. So as of late, typically the first, and of course, this is all dependent on the client, but first couple of weeks will typically push people along a little bit more aggressively yet. Motivation is the highest when someone first starts a program. From a coaching perspective, buying is such a big piece of this. So if your clients aren't bought into what you're doing, um, they're a lot less likely to follow through. And one of the, be- and then again, like this depends on the individual. So on the flip side, if it's like, yo, I need a lot of dietary flexibility, Um, I don't do well with super aggressive diets or relatively aggressive diets. And you give someone an aggressive diet, it's not going to work out super well. So you need to know the client, where they're coming from. But again, then within the context of this, like pushing along aggressively the first couple of weeks, no diet breaks, repeats, anything of that nature. And then like week three, week four, typically then we'll start to get a sense for, okay, now like I saw, I saw a good amount of loss. Typically it'll be somewhere from one to 1.5% of body weight per week. Closer to that 1.5% of body weight per week is typically what I push for in this scenario. Um, but now we get the sense like, Hey, like I have this thing coming up or like now I want to get a little bit deeper into that flexible diet inside of this. And this is always something we're educating clients on throughout the entire process, but okay, cool. Now we're going to add in this refeed day. And typically with a six one, I'll often do it as like a, what we call a floating refeed. And really, truly, this is my favorite approach to calorie cycling. Um, Where here, this floating refeed basically means you can take it day or choice if desired. So how I set this up is we have six days per week. Like, let's say again, your let's say your intake is 1500 and then your diet at break intake would be or your refeed day intake technically would be 2000, right? Basically, I'll have, okay. Six days per week, we're going to keep you somewhere between 1,400 and 1,600 in these near macro ranges. 
one day per week, I want you to hit at least like this minimum of protein. Basically, so let's say you're 140 pounds and we want you to one gram of protein per pound of body weight. I want you to hit at least 140 grams plus. There's not like an upper limit on that on this refeed day. Um, just make sure you hit that. Then typically I'll say carbs and fats as desired, because again, this is almost exclusively like an, an adherence tool. And typically, like if someone is going to want to go out to eat during this time, almost always we're going to be eating more fat. So it makes sense to like, hey, just let carbs and fat fall with it where they may. Um, hit your overall protein goal and then control for calories, right? So and then like calories, again, like let's say if your maintenance is a 2000, I'll just say less than 2000. So basically at or less than 2000. So there is the client has the option. Okay, if it's like that seventh day of the week or Friday, Saturday, shit, if it's Tuesday and they want to go out, um, whatever, then they have the option to take that higher calorie day if needed. But if on the flip side is like, hey, I feel great. I'm loving the progress I'm making. I just want to keep this rolling. Again, it's just less than 2000. So you're absolutely fine to adhere to that previous prescription also. Um, so that's typically how... When we go about calorie cycling, that's the most common way. I will set it up. Now, from there, there are a couple other couple options. You probably heard of 5-2, which is basically where we have five lower days, two higher days. Used to be a lot more of a fan of this than I am now. It used to be thought, again, that like this had some metabolic benefits. Basically, we could reverse some of the metabolic adaptations to dieting and actually increase someone's metabolism potentially due to a high due to like adding in a lot of carbohydrates and thus increasing leptin which is a hormone that's responsible kind of like puts the brakes so to speak on your body's energy expenditure so if you are like when when we diet leptin levels drop and thus your body it kind of sends a signal to your body that hey it's basically a body fat regulating hormone so thus it kind of like puts the brakes on all these things that would cause you to burn more calories to an extent leptin is part of the equation here. But again, it's thought that basically we will expend slightly less energy when leptin levels decrease and hunger levels will increase due to leptin's relationship. Leptin has an, an inverse relationship with the hunger hormone ghrelin. So um, from there, then again, like the thing, the thing to understand is there aren't these benefits. Like when we take in more carbs, leptin levels do increase. But basically within about 12 hours of getting back to the diet, within 12 to 24 hours of getting back to the diet, leptin levels drop right back down to where they were previously after a short refeed like this. So again, not any major metabolic benefits. It's really primarily adherence. Now, what I found is with a 5-2 approach, typically clients are going to have a little bit harder time. I like One day, I think it's plenty to... And of course, it depends on the person. But most clients I've found, like, one day is plenty to, okay, I have like this meal to look forward to, but then I need to get right back on track. Two days, we are typically getting to the point where, okay, if this wasn't pretty dialed in, then I'm kind of seeing, okay, this coming week, really like my weight doesn't seem to be shifting back down. And again, like even if we work through the math of this, and some of it is like, of course, we know like, hey, maybe you went a little bit over on both of these days. Because it does, like the longer the break here is, typically I found the more quote-unquote loose people tend to get with it and again not that there's necessarily anything wrong with that but again most people it just makes sense so let's get the diet done with so you can just eat more long term right um so from that perspective and again like with the weight typically longer refeeds like this are going to and it depends on the client 
but typically they are going to keep your weight higher longer, which can also mess with the client's head. Whereas I found we don't typically see that. And again, it depends on the person, but we don't typically see that with a one day refeed. So not as much of a fan of the five, two split. Another approach here is what we call the 11, three. Another one that I used to use a lot more than I do now, because it was thought that, okay, 24 hours out of the diet break is enough to actually like kind of put a pause on metabolic at or excuse me, 48 hours is enough to put a pause on metabolic adaptation. Um, Whereas beyond 48 hours, we can actually start to reverse metabolic adaptation. So this like 11-3 approach, 11 days in the diet, three days of maintenance was like, thought to be superior. That said again, like all the recent research seems to show that that's not the case. I would say it's been quite some time since, since I've actually assigned this. But if it is like, hey, every other weekend, I like to have a little bit longer time off, then that is an approach we can use. Um, I... I would say like versus a 5-2, I think this is probably superior because we can build a little bit more momentum into the diet and like that weight, that stickiness on the scale the next week is pretty similar between a 5-2 and an 11-3. I would honestly say from what I've seen, there's not really any difference. So honestly, I would say like if you're someone that needs uh, more calories, like for a longer period, an 11-3 approach every other weekend is probably superior to a 5-2. Um... And then finally, what we can do is high low days where we are alternating more. So for example, let's say we have a client that is training on, let's say we have a client that is training four days per week, upper lower. So here, what we can do is rather than look at this as an adherence tool, and I think that if we're leaning more towards body recomposition, this isn't something that I do super frequently still because sometimes it just gets a bit too complex. But if we're leaning more towards body recomposition, someone isn't losing fat at the rate that we want, but they're also still, or they're like just right there. We don't have room to increase calories anymore, but training performance is really starting to take a hit. First, we'll typically take like a diet break more often. And that's like a body recomposition scenario is when I'm more likely to um, include strategies like this. But as well, because that, that, then again, like here, the number one outcome isn't just fat loss. It's fat loss and building muscle simultaneously, right? And we are walking a very fine line between pushing you enough to lose fat while also making sure that we're fueling your body properly for muscle growth and recovery and whatnot. So here it makes more sense to introduce strategies like this. Um, but anyway, so there, like again, hey, we're just right on the edge. We're just barely hitting our fat loss, like our desired rate of loss. But training performance has started to suffer. Okay, so what we're going to do is let's take and push your higher calorie, or let's take in a lot higher calorie days. The same deficit across the week is going to the deficit across the week is going to be the same. But let's take and put higher calorie days on your four training days, or like the two or three training days are the hardest, and maybe like hey, the second upper body day, like we know it doesn't fatigue you nearly as much, so let's keep that lower, so we don't have to. Because the thing to realize as well with calorie cycling is the higher we take or the more high days we have, or the higher we take them, either or, the more high days we have, the lower the low days have to be to create fat loss. And again, like sometimes this can just become like a, okay, my low days are so low, but still the next day I feel like shit because I dieted so hard yesterday. So really I'm not seeing any benefits from this. And again, in a case like that, it's like, hey, let's not overcomplicate this. Um, let's just do like a 6-1 approach which again, I lean more and more towards, but in some situations, it, some clients do feel better in this manner. And that's where like you as a coach have to look to biofeedback, look to training performance, look to their progression. I actually talk to your clients about how they're feeling in their training. Um, 
But again, basically, then we can line, align like higher calorie days with training days. Um, of course, we want to bump carbs there and lower calorie days with off days. And that is <laughs> basically a masterclass on calorie cycling. All right. So next question we have. Underweight and reverse diet. Should I keep steps at 10 to 12K or decrease them? All right. So we actually went back and forth a decent amount amount on instagram after this great question um and really where she's coming from so she's about 90 i believe like low to mid 90 or excuse me mid mid to high 90s um and relatively short as well i believe like five one or five two if i remember um but anyways uh, basically what we talked through is the biggest thing here to determine like okay so the goal of a reverse diet Again here, like her main struggle is she's on, uh, she feels like she's underweight, right? Um, So from there, like, of course we need to see weight increasing, but her fear was after having, like, I believe that she was 140, she had gotten into um, running and I believe learned a bit more about nutrition and dropped again down to uh, around the mid nineties. But from there, again, she's now feeling like she's a bit underweight, but she's scared that, like, hey, it'll come back too quickly if she messes up with the reverse diet. So one of the things we talked to you through was, like, first and foremost, okay, so right now, for her, she was maintaining at about 1,500 calories and this 10 to 12K steps per day, right? Um, so again, from there, like, we know that your maintenance is at least – 1500. So let's work through the math of what you would have to do to actually gain back 40 pounds. Okay. So we know that to gain back a single pound, you need to eat 3,500 calories over your maintenance intake to gain back 40 pounds, whatever 3,500 times 80 is, which is like, let me, let me calculate this real quick. Oh, I don't have my phone on me. Um, this is just like the episode where everyone hears about everyone hears how terrible I am at math. All right, so 3,500 times 40 is 140,000 calories. You're not just going to accidentally overeat 140,000 calories because you, like, calculated your reverse diet calories wrong. Again, the thing that, like, in a reverse diet, we look at weight consistently. And that was another thing we talked about, like, she was weighing herself every Sunday. And there, hey, it probably would be a good idea to take weight at least three times per week. First thing in the morning, after using the restroom, before eating or drinking anything, because that's really the main, um, that's like one of the main metrics that we look at in a reverse diet. So if we don't know like how these calories are actually changing your body, if we don't know how weight is changing or we don't know how measurements are changing, how do we know if it's working or not? Um, so that was a big piece of it. Now from there, like in her case, like the goal is basically to gain weight slowly, but of course keep fat gain to a bare minimum and just focus on building muscle. So then basically what we talked through is, okay, so in that case, and again, we could call this a reverse diet because she is going to be ramping up calories, but it's the same process we would take in a building phase. And really this is, I would say this is more like a build, but again, like, okay, then we know that we need you to be hitting a desired rate of loss or a rate of gain, right? And typically in a case like this, um, women a bit smaller than men typically, and it makes sense to like, whereas men, we typically say about 0.2 to 0.5% of body weight gain per week in a building phase, women typically about 0.2 to 0.4 is the number. Um, now from there again, like we want to make sure 
that you are hitting this rate again. Because again, like in her case, more or less she's been maintaining. So then if we look at, okay, you're maintaining. So thus like the goal of this is to slowly gain. Again, like especially if you aim to, if you're worried about fat gain, if you aim towards the lower end of that, if you're following a smart training program, if you're eating plenty of protein and plenty of carbohydrates, you don't have to worry about excessive fat gain. Um, especially again, if you're gaining or if you're eating or if you're gaining that 0.2% of body weight per week, which in her case was like, uh, what is basically like this entire rate of gain was one to two pounds per week or per month. So by no means like excessively aggressive. And if any point you see like, Hey, I feel like I'm getting a little bit fluffy. It's going to happen so slowly that you very easily like, okay, I'm going to diet for two weeks. I'll be right back to as lean as I want. But again, I think she has a pretty long runway very long run, runway before she gets to that point. So from there, then what I would say is absolutely, you can decrease steps or increase calories, whichever is your preference. So typically, um, and honestly, like in a reverse diet, we typically jump clients to right below their estimated maintenance at the very least, like 10% below estimated maintenance, just to make sure we don't overshoot it. But again, the goal of a reverse diet is to get back to maintenance ASAP. So in this case, like because she is maintaining, again, we have, okay, we can either increase calories in or decrease calories out. So there I would say like, if you prefer like, hey, I'm sick of doing 12K steps per day, I want to drop this back by two to 3K. Okay, go for it. Again, I would say that's probably pretty comparable to dropping your calories or increasing calories about 100 because basically we're burning very roughly about 100 calories less per day. And that's really how I approach that. All right, final question that we have hip adductor abductor machine overrated or underrated all right so the infamous good girl bad girl machine is it overrated or underrated Mm, i would say probably overrated for building glutes i mean abduction is one of the functions of your glutes and we should train it but we're not gonna be training the largest muscles of your glutes very effectively with like the abduction machine. And I think like, I think where this becomes overrated is you do see a lot of people who are like trying to build their booty, but they spend all their time on the abduction machine simply because that might be like where you feel the best quote unquote burn in your glutes. But again, like the thing to realize is your muscles don't grow. Now a pump metabolic stress, AKA like in most cases, quote unquote, feeling the burn it is thought to be one of the mechanisms of muscle growth, but the primary mechanism of muscle growth is going to be mechanical tension, which is basically going to be placing a lot of challenging tension on a muscle and thus and fatiguing the muscle fibers close enough to failure that you stimulate new muscle growth, right? So rather than like, if there's nothing wrong with adding this in like once to twice per week, like I would say, I know every client that I'm working with that wants to build their glutes, we try to, we do, unless it's like, Hey, I can only train like a very, very limited amount. And I only have some, I have a very small time window then. And like, we can't fit abduction into, so basically driving your knees out. Um, we can't fit abduction into the program. It just doesn't like make sense for priorities. Outside of that, like every client that I'm working with is trying to build their glutes at some point across the week, they're training abduction, Right. But when it comes to bang for your buck, that is kind of like the, I would say this is kind of like, it's kind of like doing rear double flies, right? Like, yeah, it probably is smart to do it, 
but your training program isn't like, okay, four days per week, I am just going to absolutely smash these rear delt flies. Like it's smart to include it, like some variation for the rear delts. But again, we hit it a lot with all these other patterns. Or like in this case, you're just going to get so much more out of first and foremost, like focusing on um, like hip thrust variations, cast glute bridges, um, lunge variations that are made to be more glute dominant. So um, Romanian deadlifts, 45 degree back extensions, all these movements that we'll get so much more out of. Again, basically I would make sure you have at least one to two hinge patterns, one to two lunge patterns, or even like a glute focused leg press. I would say like from there, Personally, like when we look at like Brett Contreras has for building glutes, the model that's like the movements we want to do are squat, hinge, lunge, abduct, right? And I would really say like lunge and the squat, they're pretty interchangeable. Most barbell squat patterns outside of like a squat that is a split squat or outside of a squat that basically is a lunge, I don't think that most squat variations have a massive carryover to glutes and i would honestly probably put those behind like for glutes specifically behind abduction now that said like for quads squat patterns are great and there we are going to like because of that is it is still going to be a priority in the program but anyways i would put of course like before this i would say overrated because again like some people do somewhat treat it as like this is the thing that's going to build my glutes when it's like okay first and foremost hey what lunge variation are you doing what hinge variation are, are you doing are you doing a hip thrust or glute bridge variation? Okay, from there, and again, like some of those, hey, we should probably do one or two of those. Okay, then from there, then let's work in the adductor abductor machine. All right, team. And that 